0: Well, hey, good morning, everybody. If you're new with us, my name is Jason. I'm one of the pastors here at Zion. Thank you, gentlemen. We're so grateful that you are here. Uh, how many of you guys are excited for what God's going to do this morning? Uh, I know it's a little chilly outside, and so I'm going to pray it gets five degrees warmer. If I got five degrees, I'd be stoked. We were going to do little campsites and campfires, but the city said no. Uh, it is so wonderful to be with you all this morning. Um, This morning as we're coming, what I want you to do is to kind of prepare your heart for what God has for you. We're in our summer series right now called You've Already Got It, where we're exploring the handful. I mean, there's tons of blessings and promises that God has, but we're specifically looking at a handful of them this summer of these promises that God for those that he has for those who love him and are called according to his name. Now, I totally believe that God wants to take your life and your faith to the next level and to kind of that next gear, and I believe that because I believe that's what God wants for all the church. He wants that for everybody who loves them. He wants them to continue to grow in maturity, to grow in faith, and He wants this because He loves you. But here's the thing, and I want you to hear this. God loves you just where you are, but He also loves you too much to keep you there. Did you catch that? God loves you exactly where you are, but He loves you too much to keep you where you are. God constantly wants to see you grow in maturity, in faith, to become more like Jesus. And the way we do that is we have to understand that that is a work of the Holy Spirit in us. Amen? That's something that God does in us, but we have to make sure to not get out of the way of what God is doing, but rather we're standing in the midst of what God is doing to begin that work in us. Now... We talk about God's blessings, and in order to do that, I, I, want a very, I want to be very clear what I mean by God's blessings in your life that come from His promises. Because there are unfortunately, especially in American churches, we've been taught kind of a, a false understanding of God's blessings. Now let's be clear, God does bless sometimes financially, He blesses sometimes with health. But this is rarely, we don't see this very often, and there are unfortunately some individuals in what's called the prosperity gospel, and these are preachers and teachers who wrongly teach that God's blessings are about the money in your bank. That they're about your expensive clothes, bigger and better stuff, and a guarantee of health. And their line of thinking is often this, God wants his people to prosper, so therefore God's people should be prosperous. Now, I want you to know, God does want you to prosper in Him. God wants you to prosper in your love and identity as a child of the King. And sometimes God will bless individuals because they've been faithful, but there is no such thing as if you give God $10, He's gonna give you a 1000 That's not how God's promises work. Now, with this being said, how do I know this? Well, One of the biggest problems with this theology is, well, Jesus. (laughs) If we look at Jesus, the one who we declare as king, master of our lives, he was a rabbi without a home. He never preached health or wealth. He knew suffering, heartache, and betrayal intimately, and ultimately was crucified. By his standard, if we look at him, he didn't seem to have a very blessed life. He didn't have home, he didn't have money, and he ended up being crucified. We looked at him from a worldly perspective How many people would go, that guy's got it good? Nobody would look at that. Nobody would be like, yes, I agree. But this is exactly who Jesus was. Jesus preached the opposite of prosperity gospel. In fact, Jesus said some pretty hard things when it comes to understanding of blessings. He says it's easier for a rich man to enter through the eye of a needle than to enter the kingdom of God. He says we need a treasure realignment, meaning that our treasure should be in heaven, not here on earth. And one of the things that, well, many of the things Jesus preached is he preached God's faithfulness, God's provision, God's kingdom, God's love, God's sovereignty. But he also preached trust, humility, service, sacrifice, and surrender. Now, here's why this matters and how this is going to set us up for this morning before we get to our prayer and our message for today. How we understand God's blessing Will shape and help you grow and go to the next level in your faith and life with Jesus. It will actually help you become the person that God wants you to be in His kingdom and to see His kingdom move in and around you. And the truth is, God does, in fact, want to pour out every heavenly blessing found in Jesus on your life. Everybody say, God's blessing. God wants to pour out His blessing on you. The difficulty is sometimes what God considers a blessing, some of us consider a pain point. And so we're spending the summer talking about these blessings and promises, and when you begin to see what they really are, you'll see how it transforms everything. Now, before I go any further, there are two things I wanna make clear. And I don't say this to be mean, I say it to be true, because at the end of the day, here's the first promise. God's promised blessings only apply to those who have placed their faith, hope, and trust in Jesus. If you're not a Christian, you don't get to hold on to God's promises because they apply to His children in Christ, to those adopted as sons and daughters. Second, because of what Jesus did for you, you don't have to fight for the blessing, but you do have to fight to stay in the blessing, to make sure that you're not believing lies. So who's ready to learn about God's promises this morning? If so say I am. All right, here we go. Uh, I'd like to invite you to stand with me and we're going to we're going to pray a prayer of invitation and preparation, asking the Holy Spirit to move. And so I'm just going to have you repeat after me, okay? Holy Spirit, I am hungry for your presence. Break down any lies and old stories. And break through strongholds that might be getting in my way. Open the eyes of my heart. Lord, bring revival, and may it start with me. Help me to become more like Jesus, to believe what you believe about me. In Jesus' mighty and holy name. Amen. I want to invite a good friend of mine up who's going to read our scriptures for today. Everybody, let's give her a round. Don't forget to turn it on. There we go. Good morning. My name is Mary Claire Wonderlich, and I've been a part of Zion for about the last eight months. Our Bible verses for today are found in 2 Corinthians two ten 10 and 11, 1 John 1, 9, and Psalm 103, 10 through 12 anyone you forgive i also forgive and what i have forgiven if there was anything to forgive i have forgiven in the sight of christ for your sake in order that satan might not outwit us for we are not unaware of his schemes if we confess our sins he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness for he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities for as high as the heavens are above the earth So great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The word of the Lord, you may be seated. Thank you, Mary Claire. It takes takes some courage to get up here. Some people don't realize how hard it is to come up. Uh, Over the last couple series, we've looked at the life of Jacob just briefly. And Jacob is an Old Testament character who had all kinds of messy issues. Jacob was known as a liar, and last week we talked about a very famous story where Jacob wrestled with God. Jacob's entire life was spent fighting to receive blessing. Even though God had already promised him blessing, Jacob felt like he had to fight for it on his own. He had to get the blessing on his own strength, and which led to lying, stealing, conning anyone and everyone to get the blessings he believed he deserved. For Jacob, the blessing was about wealth and position. It was security. Now I know some of you here today struggle with feeling secure. And sometimes it's emotional security, sometimes it's financial security. Some of you are fear-oriented. And one of the things that happens when you're fear-oriented is you tend to fight for the wrong things. You try to fight to stay safe And sometimes in the midst of doing that, you'll do things that are actually not entrusting the Lord. They're trusting yourself. They're trusting the things you want. And this is what Jacob did regularly. Now, we don't know if the reason why Jacob struggled was either one. Maybe he was ignorant of God's promises. Maybe he doubted God's promises, didn't believe. Maybe you struggle with that. Maybe it was just out-and-out sin and rebellion. Jacob spent his whole life fighting to be blessed, and it came to a hefty cost. He hurt everyone around him, which led to a life of running from his past, until Jacob encountered a fight he couldn't win. And the story, essentially Jacob is getting ready to meet his brother who he betrayed years ago. And as Jacob is preparing and thinking that his brother is going to come attack him, the Lord comes as a stranger. Jacob doesn't know it's God, and Jacob sees the man. Now this is kind of weird. Jacob begins to wrestle with the man demanding that this man give him a blessing. And so Jacob is wrestling him and and ultimately the man says to him, who are you? And he said, my name is Jacob and I will not let you go until you bless me. And the Lord, again, Jacob doesn't know this as God. The Lord then realizing that Jacob is not going to stop fighting. He touches Jacob's hip and jacks it all up. And now all of a sudden, Jacob is injured. But Jacob is going to keep on fighting. And injury is not going to stop him. And eventually, sun rises and the man says, Listen, I've had enough. I'm going to do two things for you. First, your name is no longer Jacob. Your name will be Israel. Because you've been fighting with God and with man. And you've overcome. However... There's a second blessing. Not only did he give Jacob a new name and a new identity, he touched Jacob's hip, leaving him infirmed for the rest of his life. And I would argue the greatest blessing to Jacob's life was that injury. That injury, the, the hurting of his hip, meant Jacob could no longer run. He could no longer run from God, run from his past. He was now forced to confront the reality of his life, and I think this ultimately meant that now Jacob had to trust in God. Now here's why I think this matters. For some of you, God has given you a limp so that you'll stop running from him and run to him. For some of you, God doesn't heal because he's trying to do something in you, and I know that's hard, but I really do believe it led to the greatest blessing in his life, And I believe sometimes these limps, these wounds, are the best thing that ever happened to us. I know they are for me. I look at my life in the areas where because of past hurts and things that, yes, God has healed, but they've affected me. How many of you still have injuries that even though they're healed, they still hurt? How many of you know what I'm talking about? Those things make us dependent on God. Now... What Jacob needed to stop doing was fighting against God and fighting against the lies of the enemy, the lies of his ego, the lies of his pride, the lies of his own will. And while some of you may not always realize it, you are actually fighting against God's promises because you think you have to fight for the promise instead of trusting in the promise. That's what this whole series is about. You don't have to fight for God's promises if you're a Christian. You've already got them. What you have to fight are the lies of the enemy, the lies of your flesh. One of the big lies that so regularly robs Christians of blessing in their life, and this is what this morning we're going to be talking about, I believe this lie is both something that often, until you understand the depth of it, the beauty of it, it robs Christians of joy. And today we're going to be talking about the promise of forgiveness. Now, some of you struggle with this understanding. And and this is exactly why we're going to talk about it, because this is not about forgiving others. That's a different conversation. In fact, this fall, we're going to be doing a series on how to forgive others. This is not about you forgiving somebody. This is about you understanding you are forgiven, trusting in God's forgiveness. And maybe the person you need to learn to forgive is yourself. Let's think about Jesus gave two greatest commandments when they asked him to sum up the laws. He said, first, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is love your neighbor as you love yourself. Some of you don't know how to receive God's forgiveness because you haven't accepted God's forgiveness. Maybe because you believe you don't deserve it. We're going to look at God's promise of forgiveness for your life as a Christian and why you need to learn to forgive yourself for sins. Now, some of you, this isn't a struggle, and I get that. Praise the Lord. But I know there are other people here that the struggle of accepting God's forgiveness, trusting in God's forgiveness, has robbed them from blessings in their life. And so if that's you this morning, my prayer for you is that you would hear what the Holy Spirit and what the gospel has for you today. Because until you understand this promise of forgiveness, it's hard to accept God's blessings. Would you agree with that? So let's look at some of these. Now, this is especially hard in our current culture where, let's be honest, there are certain sins in today's culture that if you commit them, you can never be forgiven for them. That's what leads cancel culture. There are some sins, regardless of how long ago you did them, even if you've said that they were wrong and you repented, There are some sins in our modern culture that our culture says today, sorry, you just can't outrun your past. You're stuck. You're canceled. Forgiveness for some people feels like a lack of justice. Well, Jason, I can't forgive them what they did because that would mean what they did was okay or I'm saying it's okay. No. Here's why this is important. The good news of Jesus is that Jesus canceled sin. He didn't cancel sinners. Did you catch that? Jesus canceled sin, he did not cancel sinners. God meets you in your brokenness. He knows you are broken and he loves you in your brokenness, but again, he loves you too much to keep you there. You don't have to prove you're worthy of his forgiveness. How many of you know, how many of you watch the Marvel movies, the superhero movies? Raise your hand if you know what I'm talking about. Some of you, how many of you guys know what this is? This is Thor's hammer. I got all the kids look. yeah, this is Mjolnir. Some of you approach God's forgiveness like Thor does, the Norse god of thunder, with his hammer in the comic books. Now, you may not know this, but according to Marvel lore, only someone worthy of the hammer can even lift the hammer of the gods. Thor had, in order to even wield the hammer, he first had to be worthy of the hammer. And if you're not worthy, you can't hold it, you can't wield it. Now, worthiness is based on an inner quality and meeting a certain requirement. Some of you think God's forgiveness is about your worthiness, as if only if you have a certain inner quality, if you have certain things, you look at it almost like a bank loan, like somehow there's a spiritual credit report. And, and if you have enough, a good enough score, God will say, okay, I'll give you forgiveness. Some of you walk around carrying the debt, wondering, Can I, am I worthy of God's forgiveness? I know in my life there have been times when I didn't feel worthy of God's forgiveness because maybe my heart wasn't pure enough, my faith wasn't strong enough, my theology wasn't right enough. Obviously, I couldn't be worthy then. Here's the problem with that. How would you ever know when you're worthy enough that you've met the requirement for God's forgiveness? You simply can't. And for those of you who are trying to prove your worth in God's forgiveness, what this usually leads to is either sinking or striving. Either you give up drowning under the weight of trying to constantly prove yourself, or you continue to strive and you burn yourself out trying to prove to God how worthy you are. This is especially true if you've made really big mistakes in your life, things that you just feel will never, you'll never overcome. The other side, some people think that maybe I don't have to be worthy, maybe I can buy back my forgiveness now here's an example of this and we've seen this maybe in television or movies or maybe you've done it yourself how do you ever been in a fight with your spouse anybody ever been in a fight with your spouse every married hand better be up right now imagine you get in a fight with your spouse and instead of saying you're sorry and making amends you go buy flowers hoping that'll make up for it and in fact the more egregious the sin the more expensive the gift right And so this is why you hear about individuals who have affairs and what do they do? They buy jewelry. Maybe this will make them, this will cover the pain of my offense. Maybe I can buy back forgiveness. Some of you are trying to do this with God. And this is how this plays out in the life of the church. Some of you, you give to charity, you you use your money or your resources, but you're not doing it out of generosity, out of trust, out of worship, you're doing it hoping that maybe when you die, God will go, well, look at all the things he gave that or she gave. Maybe that'll make up for the sin. Maybe then I'll be forgiven. But that's not how it works. Others of you do it a little bit different way. Instead of trying to buy back, you think it's restitution. Restitution means that you have to pay in order to compensate for the pain caused. Restitution looks like this. I had a conversation recently with a friend of mine. He said, Jason, you don't understand. I'm sp- I've spent my entire adult life trying to make up for my past. I truly caused harm to people in my life. I ruined my family. I ruined my friends. I, I hurt, physically hurt people, lied, cheated, and stealed. This individual had actually spent time in prison and they said, I've been hoping I'm trying to pay back the debt so that maybe, just maybe, God will forgive me. Maybe if I make restitution, that that will earn forgiveness for me. I, I just simply haven't done enough to receive God's forgiveness. Once again, this approach will leave you lacking. Because let me ask you this. Is there anything that someone could give you in restitution that would make up for the pain it's caused? Some of you may know this. My, uh, my grandfather was murdered when I was 10 years old. Do You think there's anything possible that the person who did this could do that would make that better? Any amount of restitution? No. Some of you have deep pain in your life And you've caused deep pain. And and part of the problem of forgiveness is that when you've really caused harm, there's nothing that you can do that's going to make it better. You can't get somebody back. You can't bring back innocence. And so you sit there and there are some Christians who just say, Jason, you don't understand. I'm so horrible. God could never forgive me. There's nothing... God, God couldn't do it. I'm just too bad. I'm, I'm irredeemable. Some people try and earn God's forgiveness. They're hoping that maybe if they're moral enough, good enough, do enough good in the world, it's not about money, it's now about behavior. Maybe then they'll be worthy of God's forgiveness because of their morality God's forgiveness becomes like a wage or a payment for your moral and ethical righteousness. And again, when I was younger, I fell into all these traps. And in fact, I still, there are times in my life when I sin where the devil or my flesh wants to lean into one of these lies. Maybe if I'm worthy, maybe if I'm charitable, maybe I can make restitution, maybe if I'm good enough. All three of these are lies from the devil, which is why Paul tells us in Corinthians that we need to be careful against the devil's schemes to outwit us as God's people. Now, here's the thing about these lies and why these lies are so powerful. These lies, one, don't just cheapen what Jesus did on the cross. They actually deny the power of what Jesus did on the cross. If you buy into any one of these lies, they don't cheapen the gospel They completely destroy it, undermine the gospel in your life. And the reason why these lies are so insidious is they're half-truths. There's an element in them that is true. And this got me thinking about the power of half-truths. Benjamin Franklin said this, a half-truth is often the greatest lie. A half-truth is often the greatest lie. Charles Spurgeon, theologian and pastor said, a lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is putting on its shoes. Lies are so easy to come to believe in and half truths are the most insidious of lies. And when it comes to sin and forgiveness, the enemy knows how to twist the truth enough So that you actually will believe and fall victim, believe in the lie. Because the whole truth about sin according to the Bible actually tells us this. The Bible does say you're unworthy of forgiveness. If you were worthy of it, you wouldn't need grace. The Bible does say that sin leaves you in a position of debt. Think about the Lord's Prayer. How many of you guys have heard the many different versions of the Lord's Prayer? Have you ever been with somebody and you're saying one version, they say another one? And it's always around the one part of forgive us our sins, forgive us our debts, forgive us our trespasses, forgive us our iniquities. Why? Because sin has a lot of different ways of affecting us. And sin does, in fact, come with the cost. When you sin, it will cost you something. It'll cost you a relationship with God. It could cost you your marriage. It could cost you trust. It could cost you way more than you could ever fathom. This is why God hates sin so much. This is why Paul, listen to what the Apostle Paul says. And he's quoting from the book of Psalms. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles are alike are all under the power of sin. Now Paul's going to quote from Psalms. There is no one, no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, for there is no one who seeks God. All have turned from Him. They have together, all together become worthless. Meaning none of us are worthy of forgiveness. There is no one who does good and not even one. Satan knows what God's word says, and he also knows the human condition tends to look at sin through the lens of equity. How much can I pay? What do I have in reserve? And the enemy preys on this, but let's look at another verse. Listen to what Hebrews 9.22, we don't know who wrote wrote the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 9.22, in fact... The law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. These are straight from the Bible. And if you read the Bible without the gospel in mind, without understanding the truth of God's promises, what you'll end up doing is going, well, someone's got to pay the price. I'm not worthy, so how do I prove I'm worthy? Sin has a, there's a cost to it. How do I pay it back? How do I make it right? And this is where forgiveness does, in fact, have an incredible cost, but it's a cost you and I could never pay. Did you catch that? The price of sin is a payment no one here can afford. This is why Paul writes in Ephesians 1, In Jesus... We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. Now I want to make this personal and I want you to hear this. When I Often when I read the Bible, whenever it speaks plurally, sometimes I'll say it personally so that I understand the weight of what I'm reading. Listen to Ephesians, but you're now the object of God's forgiveness. You ready for this? In Jesus, you... Have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of all your sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace in your life. Jesus paid the price. The reason why the gospel means good news, that's literally what the word means in Greek is good news. You can stop fighting to be forgiven. You can stop fighting trying to be worthy of His forgiveness. You can stop fighting to make up for your sins. You can stop fighting to try and earn forgiveness. Your forgiveness was bought by the blood of Jesus. Amen? Oh, wow, that was really weak. Your forgiveness was bought by the blood of Jesus. Amen? See, here's the thing, church. I know it's cold and y'all are huddling up like fish hunkered down. Fishermen get that joke. <laughs> Do you realize Jesus paid the price? This is Romans 10. If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved, if you want God's promises, they are all available because of Christ. Because Jesus paid the price. Not faith faith in yourself, not faith in your morality, not faith in your ability to pay it back. It is faith in Jesus as creator and king, the only one worthy, paid the price for your sin and my sin. A couple teaching series ago, I shared this cool little nugget. On the cross, Jesus spoke several words. But there are two that I want to highlight for you this morning, and you've maybe heard these already. As Jesus was nailed to the cross, beaten by those who hurt him, Jesus uttered these words, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. Even on the cross, even in the most painful moment of his life, Jesus knew forgiveness was his mission. But there's a next statement that Jesus says, and it's actually right before he dies. As he's getting ready to take his last breath, Jesus yells out, It is finished! In Greek there, the word is tetelestai. Tetelestai actually does not mean it is finished. It means paid in full. Everybody say, paid in full. Can we give a clap because our sin is paid in full? The debt has been taken care of. The debt is paid through faith in Jesus. This is why Paul, at the end of, after he talks about confessing Jesus as Lord, he says, anyone who believes in Jesus will never be put to shame for there is no difference between jew and gentile the same lord is lord of all and richly blesses all who call on his name if you've called on the name of jesus his promised blessing of forgiveness is for you everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved you have to call in the name of Jesus, not the name of Buddha, not the name of the latest guru, not the latest health craze, on the name of Jesus and you will be saved. If you haven't called on the name of Jesus, you're not saved. End of story. And sadly, too many of you think you only need to call on the name of Jesus one time. No, I have to call on the name of Jesus every day, not to be saved But so that I walk in the power of my salvation. Did you catch that? You don't, I don't preach the gospel to myself when I was 14, is when I heard it first. 13 actually. I need the gospel now more than I did then because I forget what Jesus did for me. How many of you forget what Jesus has done for you so you take it for granted? That forgiveness is so critical. Paul writes in Romans 8, Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor principalities, nothing can separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. If you're not a Christian, and let me be clear what I mean by what a Christian is a Christian is not simply simply somebody who goes to church. Just because you grew up going to church doesn't make you a Christian. It also doesn't mean that because you were baptized as a baby or when you were in high school that you're a Christian. If you didn't believe in Jesus, you're just taking a bath. Being a Christian does not mean that you're an American. Sadly, somewhere along the way, we got confused and thought, American, Christian. America is not a Christian nation. It is not. There are no Christian nations because God's country, God's people, don't exist within the boundaries of one place. Amen? It is also not about being Lutheran or Baptist or charismatic or having the right specific theology. You've got to be Calvinist or Arminian or whatever else. No, no. What it means to be a Christian means that you confess Jesus as Lord and King of your life. Then the promise and blessing of your sins, past, present, and future being forgiven, it is paid in full. End of story knowing this means you don't have to re- you don't have to fight to receive the promise you have to fight the lies of the devil and the world to believe and live in the power of the promise this is the hope of the gospel now listen to what john wrote in 1 john 1:9 1, and this was our verse one of our verses if you confess your sins he is faithful and just and will forgive your sins and purify you from all unrighteousness. Now, you might be going, wait, wait, wait. I thought I just had to confess Jesus as Lord. Well, now it says I have to confess my sins. Do I have to confess all my sins? There are there's some religions, some faith, some people who say you cannot be forgiven of a sin unless you name it. I don't know about you, but there are lots of sins I don't remember. Anybody got sins they don't even remember doing? Come on, you all better say that's me, right? There are sins like yesterday I did. I'm like, I, didn't ar- I, I forgot already. No, the power of this verse, the reason why you have to confess your sins, the only reason why you need a Savior is because you're a sinner. You cannot confess Jesus as Lord, what he did on the cross, unless you believe and confess that your sins need to be paid. And so what does it mean to confess? And this is important. The Greek word confession there simply means to agree with. It's acknowledging the power of sin. So when you confess your sins, it's not about confessing every specific sin. It's about confessing what sin has done. I thought I just had to believe that Jesus is Lord to be saved and forgiven. That's true. I do just need to believe that he's Lord. But what is he Lord of? He's Lord of my life. He's not some Lord just floating around doing Lordy things. No, He's Lord of my life. It means I submit to His Lordship. But He's not just my Lord, He's my Savior. And what does He save me from? He saves me from my sin. And so I confess, I agree. And in fact, I cannot receive Him as Lord unless I confess that I need a Savior, that I need Him as my Lord. I have to acknowledge, so to paraphrase the late Pastor Charles Stanley, who recently went to be with Jesus after decades of faithfully serving the Lord, he said this about confession. Confession is agreeing with Jesus that your sinfulness has fractured, separated, it has destroyed and caused pain to God, to others, and to myself. That's all confession is. And it's more than just a spiritual truth, it's a relational truth. For some of you, your sin has harmed your relationships with other people, with family, a spouse, with children, your neighbor. It's a physical truth. Your sin has caused harm to the world you live in. For others, it's an emotional truth. Your sin has caused emotional pain. To those around you what i've seen too many christians do is minimize the impact of their sin well, jason it was just a little white lie it wasn't that big of a deal at least i'm not as bad as you know brad or somebody i don't know <laughs> isn't it funny that whenever we're always comparison we always compare ourselves to somebody else and usually we set the bar really low like at least i'm not hitler that's not a very high bar Jason, why does, I, why does God even care about this little thing? It's not like I killed somebody. The Bible calls this the sin of pride. The sin of pride is when you basically say, hey, I, don't, I determine what sin is. I determine what I think is right or wrong. And in fact, unless God agrees with me, I don't agree with God. Here's the problem with that. He's God, you're not. Praise the Lord. Part of the reason why we struggle with forgiveness in our culture is that we have no anchor for truth anymore. Now all of a sudden, sin is whatever culture says it is. No, we need something higher than culture to define truth for us. That's why we need God's word. I was having a conversation with my hairstylist recently and we talked about church and she goes, she knows somebody I know and I said, hey, you know, do you go to church or She goes, well, I used to. I used to go to church. I grew up going to church. But here's the thing. Church is really for people who need God. I don't really need God. My life's doing really well. Newsflash. No, it's not. Yes, it might. You might not be falling apart, but we're all in a state of needing God. Just because you have money in the bank account doesn't mean your life is going well. What happens when the money runs out? Just because your health is good, just wait till you're in your 40s, right? I mean, it's just... Just give it a little bit of time, and real quickly, all the things that you thought were going to keep you there don't keep you there anymore. These are all half-truths, and they become barriers to God's blessing. But there's another pride, and I think this is the scariest of the prides. See, one pride says, I don't need God. The other pride says, God could never forgive me. Did you know that's equally pride? I had a friend who was telling me, it's the same friend I was telling you was saying that they lived too bad of a life. And their exact words were, Jason, I don't believe God could ever forgive me. And so in love, I asked them this question. I said, um, are you better than God? No. How about bigger than God? Are you bigger than God? No, of course not. Well, then who are you to tell God that he can't forgive you? If you think that you get to tell God who He can and cannot forgive, including yourself, you're making yourself God. Or worse, you're making your sin God. That is two forms of pride. One says, I don't need God. The other one says, I'm too wretched for God. God could never restore me. Here's what I want to tell you. When you deny the power of the promise of God's forgiveness, you grieve the Holy Spirit. It breaks God's heart. That's what the word grieve literally means. It breaks God's heart. I'm going to invite the worship team up here, and and I want to close with this. I want you to hear these last couple things. See, God created your body in such a way, and we've talked a little bit about this with some of the science of serving a couple weeks ago, but did you know that when you walk in unforgiveness... When you either, one, don't forgive others, but more importantly, don't forgive yourself, here's what it does to your body. This is what recent science has shown that unforgiveness, the state of unforgiveness does to you. It can lead to depression, anxiety, other joint problems. Did you know that? That's crazy. Arthritis, that kind of stuff. Often it leads to substance abuse, hostility in the home. It can lead to a constant state of chronic stress response a chronic stress response is when you are constantly in either in fight flight freeze or trying to please people how many people pleasers you got here right now did you know often people pleasing is comes from a lack of unforgiveness of understanding your worth and identity in jesus allowing yourself to experience god forgiveness does not mean what you did was okay it also doesn't mean that there's no consequences You want to hear the craziest part about when you receive God's forgiveness? This is crazy, okay? When you begin to understand that you're not worthy of grace, that's what makes it grace. When you begin to understand you don't have to pay for forgiveness because it was already bought. When you begin to understand that you don't need to make restitution with God because it's already been dealt with, something amazing happens. When you begin to truly walk in God's forgiveness, you stop trying to prove your innocence. When you begin to realize that you are forgiven, you stop defending and making excuses for your failures. When you make an excuse for a failure, what you're really saying is I don't need to be forgiven because I didn't do anything wrong. Walking in forgiveness means acknowledging you need to be forgiven. And in Jesus, if you confess Jesus as Lord, you are forgiven by God. That also means you can stop demanding people to forgive and forget the hurt your sin has caused. And the reason why you can stop demanding it is now your identity and security is found in King Jesus. And as a result of that, you can give them grace to work through the pain you caused them. That's one of the ways I know that somebody has not truly understand their forgiveness in God is when they say, why won't they forgive me? I've already asked forgiveness sometimes it takes a long time to forgive and somebody who's truly forgiven in christ now understands their identity is not in somebody else forgiving me but in god's forgiveness amen and now they can allow them to do the work so that they can heal and forgive this is especially true for non-christians Non-Christians don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have the gospel. They don't have the hope you have. This is why you'll meet a prisoner, somebody who's in prison, who, when they understand God's forgiveness, instead of saying, I don't deserve to be here, they say, oh, what a wretched man am I. Thank you, God, that you've saved me. And now they go and be a coffee bean Christian in the midst of the prison system, showing hope. If you want to show hope to the world, it starts with you understanding your forgiveness in King Jesus. You don't have to fight for it. You have to fight to believe it. If you're walking in unforgiveness for yourself, if you believed any of these lies, I'm here to tell you, Jesus wants to set you free. Everybody stand up with me. Here's what I want you to say. I want everybody as loud as you can say, in Jesus, I am free. All together, ready? In Jesus, I am free. Let's say that one more time. In Jesus, say, I am forgiven. If you need to know that forgiveness firsthand, we got people in the prayer corner. That's this little green flag over here. We have people who love to pray with you. The gospel means you get to stop fighting. You just have to receive and believe. Amen? Let's come and worship the Lord because we have a God who is good, who is great, and who has forgiven us and made us clean in Jesus' holy name. Amen.